Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. Hey team, the only thing I'm really going to say before this episode is tune in with an open mind with this one and um, yeah, hold it lightly, perhaps listen back to it if it's something that you're, there's a few things in there that you haven't heard them before and they seem a bit kind of alien or a bit different to you, but it's it's a biggie, you know, negative emotions and processing it on this journey, often for many of us, no matter where we are, it can be one of the reasons that we are either in a pattern of drinking is that we don't know how to to face our feelings or to feel our feelings and also long term it can be one of the things that pulls us back into drinking as well if we if we haven't gone on that journey and you'll have heard terms like emotional sobriety before and often we're like well what on earth does that even mean well we have a discussion in and around that here and I think there's room to uh, to expand and grow and that's what we're always doing in our program stay stop solution is uh, is something that talks about these things in depth but um, we don't hold back we just just have a really powerful conversation here and hopefully you're going to get something from it and um yeah we'd love to hear from you if you do all right team i'll hand you over to me and ellie see you there hello happy tuesday but happy or not happy tuesday Hmm. we'll come on to that in a bit (laughs) so we want to talk to you this week about emotions because we've all got them and uh sometimes we don't know what to do with them and sometimes we classify them as one thing or another So we thought we'd have a big old chat about emotion today and offer some uh, different ways of thinking about things uh, and hopefully some help with somebody, somebody, uh, I saw a message earlier on, somebody was saying like, basically, I need help with, and what they were talking about was effectively negative emotion or what they're classed as negative emotion. So I suspect that this is a conversation that's going to help a bunch of people out. And I thought it might be a good idea to open up with a little story of th- this Ooh. just was, I think this might have even just happened this morning. So with um, my eldest, Pearl, and she said to me, uh, she she was, you know, sort of like looking glum and down and upset. And she came and sat with me, so kind of sat in my lap. And she said, oh, I just, I feel really... Well, first of all, she didn't say anything. I said, do you want to talk to me about how you feel? And she said, oh, I'm just I'm just really, really sad. I feel really sad. And, and then the next thing that came out of her mouth was something like, and I don't want to feel like this. Like, I don't like it. Effectively, she wanted to change her state because she didn't like this feeling of sadness. And uh, as a parent, you then... You, you, you're then confronted with, well, what, what, what do I, shit, what do I do about this? How can I make the child happy? How can I take away this sadness and this pain? And so I did what any good parent does, and I didn't do that. I didn't take away the pain. I made her sit with it <laughs> in a nice way. Well, I said to her, I said, come on, let's um, let's do some breathing. And I started and I did some breath, some breath, some very basic breath, breath work. God, I can't speak today. Did some very basic, that's quite a hard thing to say. say that very five basic times in a row. breath work. There's some very basic breath work with her. And I just had her um, imagining, I said to her, 
like imagine how you want to feel today. Like what's your intention? I didn't say intention to her, I just said like, how, how do you want to feel? And usually when I ask questions like this, she usually goes, happy? <laughs> like, is, is that what you're looking for, mum? And uh, she didn't, she was just quietly thinking. And we, and it came to this realisation that she, it wasn't necessarily that she wanted to change her feeling state and suddenly be happy because that wouldn't have felt appropriate. But she was looking for some sense of peace and some sense of calm. And I think we can all understand what that feels like. And so I asked her to imagine like breathing that in, a big belly breath, breathe all of that in. And then I was asking her to imagine the the tension that was around the stress of the and the, of the sadness to imagine exhaling that out through the soles of her feet. And so we sat and did that for a little while. And then I asked her to carry on doing it on her own while I desperately tried to get ready to do the school run. And after a little while, she came to me and I said, how are you feeling now? And she said, I feel a lot better. So I thought, oh, that's a little little win there, a little win, teaching her how to just feel these things and allow them. I know you want to talk in a bit about how a lot of these, a lot, all of these emotions are self-resolving. But we don't often give space. We we sort of immediately want to change everything. So mm. there's my little story up front. Do we want to start off with where that comes from? The whole like, oh God, feel sad, must change, must change state quickly. Don't want to feel this. This is negative. Yeah. Well, you just you just made me think about something really cool, actually, which I which I'd seen before. I just saw a bit deeper in this moment now, um, which is that, hmm. no, actually, let's do what you said. Let's let's start at the beginning. Makes sense, doesn't it? You know, I'm like, I'll start anywhere and then, you know, work my way back in. But yeah, I think we, hey, let me take a note. Because if I don't take this note, it's gone. Take a note. Take note. Da, da, da. I'm taking a note, everybody. I'm okay. Sip it too while you're taking your note. So we have this kind of like, um, I think it's society level um kind of like a prejudgment and it's it's uh it's an undercurrent even you know we have this kind of um idea we have these terms positive and negative and they are loaded so they don't simply mean um uncomfortable or not nice in the body they they have a judgment attached to them very mm -hmm. often which is bad or not okay so for example many people have internalized the idea that it's not okay. Anger's not all right. So if ever they're going to, if they ever get to that point, they may repress it or it's kind of a very com common pattern for a lot of us. And then something else may come out, sort mm. of either passive aggression or, you know, all these different things. It's, it's, it can be, you know, complex. So there's that part of it. Um, and also the other side is that, you know, we have this judgment of things being good. And so ultimately, you know, if something's good, well, why wouldn't you want that all the time, right? So I think we're on this kind of like endless perpetual um, journey to be only having positive, in air quotes, emotions, only the good ones. And then and then we have a society that's built around that consumer culture and capitalism and, oh, there's a pill for that. And, oh, there's a, and, and, and this is not going to be like a, I think there's always a time and a place for, um, 
being doing what's right for us from medication through to everything but there's a bigger mm. picture here there's a bigger picture here where often we we're just scared to feel things that are really human because we've absorbed this story that they're not safe or that we i think a lot of the time we the real underlying fear is that we are worried that we're not going to be able to cope with it mm. and we're not going to be able to deal with it and so we rather than going there rather than feeling the pain or the grief or the whatever it might be we don't go there we just we sort of bottle some of it up for later and um yeah mm. so i think it's society level i think it's i think it's like a really i think it's happening all throughout society and i think it's a really interesting thing to consider that well perhaps things that don't feel good in the body they're not bad it's nothing like they're not negative in that sense mm. they're just a certain type of experience yeah yeah to me that there's two massive misses when we're in childhood and this is i always say this to women that i talk to that want to join my small coaching groups it's like the the two things that we've all and i'm making a bit of an assumption about all but it as you say it's it's across society two things that we generally don't have is we haven't been taught how to process emotion and we haven't been taught how to regulate the nervous system. And so when you're in your formative years, whatever environment you're living in and exposed to, you're going to adapt in the best way that you can. And typically you know, small vulnerable children, you can't, the the fight or flight response doesn't typically work, but the freeze response is very um, accessible and that's usually the, the default. And then that becomes so familiar as a child if you're constantly going into the freeze response and you don't have um, people around you that you can co-regulate with then your nervous system gets very, very used to that and is going to seek that out as that that feels safer than anything else. That's that's your means of survival. Um, but as we carry that through into adolescence and then adulthood, then that becomes the typical self-sabotaging behaviours that we see. So in my case, and I, I would never have seen it like this at the time, but... You know, alcohol certainly became a means of it. It was um, it was a means to cope and a means to escape. You know, there was a lot of difficult emotion that came up around my father's illness and then his death, and I I just had no idea how to process it. I just knew that it was extreme, and just as you said, Sam, that there was some messaging somewhere around like, this is too big for me. Like I can't cope with this. Or I thought I was coping with it in the way that you kind of see everyone in the movies, oh, I'll have a drink. And then that'll make me feel better. That, mm. you know, parachuting out of there. So I, I think there's a big miss, two big misses in, in childhood that we can rectify um, collectively we can teach children how to process their emotion. We can teach children how to regulate the nervous systems. 
Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of funky actually because toddlers, kids, they're definitely if we're not talking about very you know if we're not talking about trauma, if we're talking about kind of uh, like your kind of standard day to day you know many things that go wrong kids are like the greatest teachers on earth you know so you drop the ice cream and there's this like wave of just like oh god uh, my my ice cream and then it's like oh a squirrel and they're gone and they're like enjoy so at that level like kids are actually very wise and i think as adults we we've internalized this idea that oh well i can't go around behaving like a toddler otherwise everyone would think i was mental so rather than actually have those moments and be honest we drop the milk or whatever rather than just being like oh I mean, for some people we do, but for other people, we just, mm. you know, we don't do that. And so that builds up. But at the level of mm. the bigger things, I think often, yes, I think if if we if we're young and we don't know what to do with it, we we're literally I mean, that freeze response to the point of zero recollection of what happened, et cetera. It's very, you know, mm. a very kind of classic trauma response. And I think then it's it's an imprint. And it's not that I, I personally am not of the belief that like nothing can be done about that. I think we're we're all we all have our own reality tunnels. We're all kind of imprinted by different things over time, but we're not we're not completely powerless over that. And I think as adults, um, however difficult things are for our children or the experiences we have, yeah, I think I think just that knowledge and and what we're talking about today and and knowing that it's safe to to experience our feelings and emotions, it it teaches it teaches the people around us stuff and our loved ones, not mm. just kids, just our family members. And I can remember um the first time it really struck me, I was like, huh, yeah, it's true, right? We've been on this planet for like however many billions of years. Well, we haven't, but we've been evolving and we've developed this whole array of emotions and feelings. And like, of course they're safe. Of course they're they're, they're all divine. I mean, it's a mad thing to say, but I was at the Three Principles Conference last year. And one of the things I wrote down in big letters is like, anxiety is divine. And by that, it wasn't saying like... um like it feels divine but it's made of the same sacred stuff that all of the others are yeah it's not wrong it's just what it is and and the thing is that when we go on this journey of talking about what we often do and having realizations about who we are and you know our best self and our real self and all the rest of it then those things tend to come up less less often but they're all they're all there's nothing wrong there's nothing bad about any of them Mm -hmm. um and yeah, I think as I think you're right. Like it's it's a whole society wide thing that we could be doing very differently. And it's innocent. Again, it's not like don't think there's any like people in a in a room somewhere going, ah, oh, let's let's make it so that no one can <laughs> no one can process their emotions. I mean, if you go into a lot of um indigenous cultures, they're very adept at processing oh, of their course. emotions. Yeah. 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 It's as I say, it's um you know, I think I think it's something societally that we mm. um suffer from amongst other things you know we just we don't live the way that we used to we don't live in community in the way that we used to we don't have the you know generations of family living to, you know like look at my family was strewn all over the bloody place and and in one respect that's great isn't it you know that you've got my brother out in australia and he's got a wonderful life out there but then you know we're we're not physically and geographically close thank god we've got things like zoom and what have you mm. but we don't we just don't live in the way that um you could argue we're meant to as human beings and so a lot of the i think there's a lot of things a lot of 
ancient wisdom that's been lost. And then, of course, there's all of the cultural conditioning. So, as you say, like the wherever these beliefs come from around, oh, well, anger's not okay. So happiness is okay, but anger's not okay. Mm. Rage is definitely not okay. Shouldn't feel anxious either. That's horrible. You know, all, all of these, um, all of this conditioning, the beliefs that come alongside these emotions. And so, and, and I think bit by bit, like if I think about my own situation, it's just like, you know, very, um, it's like a slow drip over time. And you end up sort of eroding your own, any resilience that you have got and finding all of these other ways of coping, whether it's alcohol, tranquilizers, various other means of escapism and and trying to calm and self-soothe in the absence of having any other skills or, or tools or resources. Because, and again, that's part of the culture that we live in. It's like quick fix, you know, oh, you don't, you don't feel right. Well, here's something that will make you feel better. You know, the whole consumerism side of things. Um, so I think what can happen over time and, and certainly what happened to me is that you use all of these quick fixes and they sort of feel like they're working in the moment. You don't necessarily um, see the, the impact of them over time. And there's this really insipid thing that's going on in that by avoiding any kind of in inverted commas negative emotion by you know trying to um, steer clear of this stuff or trying to suppress this stuff, it doesn't go anywhere. It just accumulates, and there comes a point where we we have to face it. Like we don't have any any choice in that, but we've eroded any resilience, any strength, any courage that we did have by relying on all of these other means and mechanisms. I think like it seems um, twofold. Like at one level, there's the, actually the Buddha spoke a lot about this, the different types of suffering. And 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 if I, and I would encourage anyone to go and explore that. It's really, really interesting to see how he um, spoke and taught around this. But there's this kind of layer of emotions that we have of be it sadness or grief or whatever it may be that we're experiencing that we, I think, for example, in an indigenous culture where we're living in groups up to 150, spending time around the fire, self-regulating, we're out in nature. There's a lot of that stuff that just naturally gets processed out by the environment, by being in nature, by being in community, by being in connection, by by being reminded that we're consciousness over and over again. A lot of that naturally shakes out in a way that it doesn't naturally shake out for many of us today. Because even for me, like it's very common that I might sit on my own for 12 hours. So if I've got something on my mind, it might, it, it might like bounce around my head for hours and hours and hours and hours. And, and it, potentially it has, it can, be, it's all thought generated. So it can mm-hmm. become any number of different, you know, something wondrous or something scary right and then it can pop in an instant when robin gets home it's like oh what have i and and so i think there's that part of it and i think there's a much much deeper part of it which is what you were talking about which is the the kind of irony of trying to make anything permanent is that it bites us in the ass so there's everything's transitory you know if you think about feelings emotions thoughts life car like it, the, nothing lasts forever. Nothing's even standing still. 
it, it looks like it is. But if you were to actually see what's going on out there right now and look at that tree that looks very static, it's not. It's in constant flux. You know, a car, you know, cars don't really, this is a funny thing to think about. They don't really exist, right? So if you think about like, if you just kept taking the parts of a car, at what point would you be like, oh, that's a car? Like if you take the tires away, then you take the chassis away, then you'd be like, oh, that's not. So when does that actually become a thing? Like we think it's solid. We think it's stable. So that's true of everything in life. And it's natural. We really want to try and make things stable. We want to feel happy all the time because we don't want to acknowledge the fact that nothing is. We know, mm. we all know at our deepest, deepest level, we're all going to die. We all know that like nothing's going to die. <laughs> it's true though. Well, this, and this is why, this is why in a lot of the kind of, um, wisdom traditions, they invite people to think about what that means every day. And a lot of people yeah. are like, well, that's a bit fucking morbid thinking about death all the time. But it's like, no, because actually what you'll realize when you see that we're constantly in, in change and flux is that that's, there isn't anywhere constant to stand. Mm -hmm. So the more you acknowledge that and go on that journey, you'll, you'll live with more joy. And then, because that's the irony is if you try and make anger go away because you think, because, huh, the negative emotions, we innocently forget. We think they're constant. So we go, oh, fuck, this is going to be here forever. So I need to do something about this anger. I need to repress it, give it, get it away, take some drugs, drink or whatever. And then we innocently, you know, we get in and mess ourselves up or whatever we happen to do. And with the positive ones, we do the opposite. We go, oh, shit, like... I want to make this constant. Like this isn't going to last forever. And then we start doing stuff and then innocently it's the grasping aversion thing. So we just forget. Mm. And when we're feeling good, <laughs> we forget. And then when we're feeling bad, we want to get rid of it. And so actually when you really see, truly see that these things don't last forever, when we say self-resolving, we don't necessarily mean that there's always going to be like a perfect little bow on, on the anger or, or whatever. But they have a flow and they're safe and it's, you can express that. And you might not necessarily want to like do it in your boss's face. Like you're allowed to like keep going. I don't know, scream in the woods or something. It, it's, it's, you know, there's practical things here. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that seems at the heart of it. That seems to be at the heart of the human experience is that we, we may not have even consciously considered this before, but we we know at a very, very deep level that nothing is permanent. And we so we try and make permanency. Every single tradition mm. speaks mm. to if you try and find happiness in things that do not last. We all know that. We all know we can't do that when we sit mm. and think about it. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. And it's it's completely understandable. So in these human bodies built and wired for survival then we want to you know the brain wants to predict what's going to happen we want to feel safe but this illusion of steady ground when there isn't any steady ground it's the thing that ultimately is causing suffering so it's hard like it's it's very very hard to turn the ship around and to start heading toward these sensations that feel very uncomfortable in the body. But something really interesting happens when we start to do that because in the allowing, we we drop the resistance and then 
we start to learn that these things, these feelings, they don't hang around as long when we don't interfere, when we let them be. Mm. And I remember talking to somebody recently about this and I was like, isn't it brilliant? Isn't it brilliant to know that you can, you don't actually have to add anything else in. You don't have to do anything else. You can just stop doing stuff and you get effectively a better result. Yeah. And this is, it takes a little while to, that insight of, um, I don't even know how to phrase this. Like all the time when we're talking about just be, you know, you know do less, be more, just be, you, you know, these kind of spiritual mm. things. Well, the thing is they're, they're absolutely true. But what most of us do, because we're used to doing this, is we turn being into a doing. And so mm. when someone says to you, just sit with your feelings, just be with your feelings, like, well, how do I do that? And we And we turn it into a doing. So we think there's a right way or a, and actually... That's why it's very, very hard, almost potentially, I think, maybe not even possible to kind of necessarily teach that. It's a, it's something that you realize it becomes real for you in a moment. And and reliably, I don't I think we've had seen this a lot. People after some time of of looking in this direction, maybe a year, maybe a month, maybe it, it's different times for different people. They go, oh, shit. Now I know what you mean by just be with your feelings. Now I get it. I because often what we don't realize is that when we're when we're turning being into a doing, that's resistance in action, and we mm. might not realize that because we might be like. So I'll give you an example. Maybe it's kind of like okay. So I'm I'm, I'm going to feel like I'm going to do what Sam says. I'm going to feel this anger for the first time. <laughs> How do I do that then? Okay, well I'm going to sit here and and then we start doing things and we we kind of push it down. And we'll swear blind. It's like this transactional thing as well. We'll be like, yeah, okay, well, if I just feel this anger for a little while, then hopefully it will go away. But it doesn't work like that either. Like there's no, the aim of being with our feelings and sitting with these things isn't to like make them piss off any quicker. It no, doesn't no, no, work no. like that. But no. that's another game that we play with ourselves. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Did it fairly recently with myself. <laughs> took, it, took it to my teacher, didn't I? said like... What, you know what's going on with this you know because something had effectively come up and and i and i thought like i'm past this i dealt with this a year ago like why why the hell has this come back and was kind of surprised by the intensity and the duration because you know i thought oh day one okay i can do this day two right why hasn't this gone by now so yeah. like naturally fallen into that myself and i took it to my, to my teacher and I'm like, I'm just I'm kind of surprised by this thing. And he said, um, he said, well, the thing to ask yourself is, are you willing to feel this until your last breath? Mm. And I went, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. And so in that moment, the whole thing falls away. It's like, and it's surrender. It's surrender. And that's the paradox because basically the question is now your teacher knows that nothing's permanent, but when asked the question, how do you feel about this potentially being that if you truly answer that from your soul, it, it will look very different all of a sudden because you'll realize, oh yeah, I have been pushing or, 
Yeah, that's really powerful. That's a great question. What a powerful moment. That's cool. Mm. Mm. It's mm. bloody good. Mm. <laughs> Epic. I love that. That's really, really cool. And yeah, I think that is, it's like a silent transaction. It's very common. And like, and the thing is, here's the thing it can creep in through the back door again. So, so, so someone might realize, oh, I've been doing that. I've been sort of saying to myself, okay, I'm going to sit with this for a week and then it will definitely go mm. away. And then we might realize that, oh yeah, that's what I've been doing. And then it, the voice can creep in through the back door. We start judging ourselves for having not being with her. And then we're, so it's that all we need is less. It's it, all of the teachers, they giggle, like all of the sages across time have said, <laughs> you know, one day, whenever that time is, this lifetime or another one, you're just going to smile because you realize, you know, you were there all along and mm. uh, you, mm. you were just overcomplicating things massively. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. There's somewhere else I was going to go with this. And I've lost my train of thought. Shocking. Mm. There's a surprise. <laughs> That's never happened before. What um, did we get to your thing that you wrote down earlier on? Yeah, I wrote down impermanence because it was that was yeah. what what I I sort of saw in a, a slightly deeper deeper way than I had before. That yeah, it is actually quite funny how we we think that the things that are bad are permanent. And we think that the things that are good are are not none of them are, but it's that it's that innocent forgetting and getting locked in it that sort of keeps us in that perpetual cycle. Because the question yeah. is, you know, like we said before, well, where am I going to stand then if everything's always moving and in flux all the time? Well, it's actually in the so I mean, this was so the Buddha, his one of his greatest um I mean, I think he he basically said that reflecting on impermanence is the ultimate reflection. This is what he was getting at if every single morning, mm -hmm. because we're in the West, we're really worried to do that. You know, the death of anything, you know, obviously our death from this life is, is a big one for people, but of anything we sort of, we don't want to go there. Oh, you know, maybe one day, but I don't want to talk about it. But actually in my experience, the more we reflect on that, the more joy we live in Oh God, yeah. because we're not in an illusion anymore. We're not just sort of, singing ourselves this lullaby hoping that it will it will just keep us asleep mm. um cool we've gone all we've got this this is this is a much more uh this is this is a little bit more what's the word uh i guess spiritual that's the only thing that's coming out mm, well, <laughs> and we can be yeah it's powerful it is, it, it is it is there's there's something really magnificent about that realization that there is, there isn't any steady ground to stand on, because you just stop wasting your time, you know. Not just clinging to things or craving things, but you know, it's it's just you you, you live in a really different way. When you said that you feel more joy, it's so true. More joy, more peace. Yeah, because the question I see, so here's how it looks to me, is that joy, peace, clarity, um, they're innate. So they're mm. deeper, different, different teachers have a different way of framing this. I can't remember exactly what Eckhart Tolle talks about, but he talks about, you know, dualistic emotions. And then he talks about states of being. And mm. so 
at the core, when we're talking about love, peace, clarity, we're talking about different refractions of the same kind of thing. And, and because it's innate, because they're owned in the sense that if you look at a young child, they're just beaming with that, they're in that experience. And then it slowly gets covered up by our conceptual self and the ego over time. And we forget that when we realize that the search to try and create whatever we have sort of put in our head as happiness, the kind of one side of the kind of pleasure pain cycle, you know, again, Buddha Dukkha used to say, you know, whatever it is that's pleasurable contains within it, the idea that one day it won't be there anymore. So there's pain within it. It's just time that separates the two. So if you're going to find something that truly brings you peace or joy, it's going to be something that's uncaused that doesn't have an opposite. And those are the things that we unlock in the moment when we go on that journey of contemplating impermanence. And the beautiful thing about that is that because it's a part of who we are, that can be there even in the deep moments of sadness, even in the deep moments of grief, grief, we can still Mm -hmm. feel that deep reverberating sense of peace and love and calm, even in moments where it would be mad not to feel sadness or grief. Like that's the human side of the coin. And if you try and have one half without the other, you know, you're just, mm. you do it, you're selling yourself short because the richness of life comes from the full expression and the full embodiment and um, experience of those feelings. But, but also deeply knowing that it's safe. It's okay to have that experience, that human experience. Um, and at the root yeah. of almost every painful addiction, et cetera, that we have, if you look at it at its core, it will be the search to try and permanently live in a certain state of comfortable comfort or okayness or avoiding a certain set of feelings. So the implication of really seeing that they are safe, that they are, and this is a journey. And by the way, like this may take, um, many different mediums. You, you may choose to go and go through body healing. You may choose to use psychedelic plant medicines you might choose to choose to use any number of different mediums to go on this journey it's not it's very easy to be like oh well i'll just tell myself to get on with it then but it is a mm-hmm. it is a journey it, it um, is yeah, and, uh, sorry i was just yeah. saying it's not it's not one to do alone either like we we heal collectively um i think finding this is the thing i i, I love how um laura mccowan this is one of her podcasts a long time ago, she talked about finding your own trail of breadcrumbs. And so mm. I use that quite a lot because it just, it, it, it makes sense. Like what, what I've, the path that I've traveled is my own path. It's not anybody else's. And so there may be some crossover with, you know, certain modalities that are um, of interest to me and another, but we've still got to find our own route through. And, your level of willingness to surrender to that and be open and be willing and curious and compassionate with yourself for your own struggle through it, that's what's going to make it, um, you know, one one thing or another. And I've spent a long time trying to outrun stuff. And it's it's really interesting to me now, having gone through some in December, I'll be three years alcohol free. And my life right now is, <laughs> it's funny because the I've, 
I said this a little while ago about my life being way more complicated now than it was before. It's even more complicated <laughs> right now and challenging. And there is just not one part of me that wants to do away with any of it. You know, there's some really intense stuff going on right now. The, the, the emotions that are coming and going, like it, it's, it's big, but it all needs to be felt. And the thing that was really striking recently, and again, I was in um, private session with my teacher and I was talking about the, you know, that willingness to feel whatever it is until your final breath. And we were talking about practices that support um, that allowing of the, you know, whatever the feeling or emotion is. And I was saying to him that despite the real difficulties that are going on right now, because of how I was attending to myself and allowing things to be as they were, as opposed to trying to change them, what I felt really, really deeply was what we were talking about earlier, joy and peace. And I said something like, because then there's the egoic part comes in. And I said something like that voice was saying, how dare you feel? Mm. Mm -hmm. So there, there's the judgment. How dare you feel mm, when this is going on? And, uh, and I could see it for what it is, but it's it's just interesting to kind of watch it all play out. And my teacher said to me, how, how dare you not feel that? How dare you not feel that? You know, th this is, you know, what we are at our core. So I've said to people quite, I've had quite a lot of conversations about this recently in that things aren't, mutually exclusive. So we can feel sadness, despair, anxiety, fear. And at the same time, we can feel joy, peace, contentment, excitement, curiosity. Like it's not that it's either or. And it was so interesting in that experience to be able to watch that coming up and playing out for myself. How dare you feel? Yeah, I mean it's interesting. It's uh when you were chatting, I I so I grabbed a book because you were made made me think of something, which we might we could leave everybody with, which would be a great interesting thing for people to to be with, I think. But uh yeah, I mean ultimately these things being innate um means that they can show up at absolutely any time. And it's the, when you have start having realizations around that, when you start really understanding, wow, joy and peace and whatever your words for it are, are actually, they are a part of me. They're part of the the being that I am, the consciousness, consciousness that I am. They can, they can appear at any time. And it made me think of my uh, good old mate, Rupert Spira. And so he, he talks about happiness, but when he, so his frame for happiness is, the the longing that we all feel to kind of like uh 
be back at source for everything to come together again is the kind of longing to to be one with everything again so he he talks about the when we realize that we are when we have the spiritual acknowledgement of wow i'm a part of everything i'm deeply connected that's that's his sort of like frame on happiness but he kind of says uh that happiness is our very nature and it lies at the source of the mind or the heart of ourself in all conditions and under all circumstances it can't be acquired it can only be revealed and yeah. i'd read that a few times right and then i read it a little while back and i got like punched in the face by the lines and under all circumstances because i suddenly realized like yeah if if joy and well-being if joy and well-being and peace and are part of who we really are they're still there whenever we're sad or whatever. And it's not wrong. We're not doing it wrong to be going through a difficult experience or the death of, for example, the death of a loved one and feel both grief, but also joy. And that's not wrong. That's, that's just how it is. And like the fact that it's revealed in us, it's not earned through mm. what we do in the world. We just uncover it. Mm. Um, it means that it works the other way around. It means that none of us need do anything or acquire anything in order to move into that space. And that is what's at the heart of the of the spiritual journey, I think, is that awakening to the truth that, oh, like I'm already here. Like I can I can access that at any time. Mm -hmm. um, I love your follow the breadcrumbs thing. And I'd love for, I'd, uh, yeah, I think that's a wonderful invitation for everybody on this. If there's anything that's piqued your interest in this episode, follow the breadcrumbs. Go and... Mm -hmm. uh, Go and have an explore. Yeah. And trust yourself to do that because it can't, so many, and I think, you know, it's probably amplified because we're, we're coaching a lot of programs and there's a lot of offerings and then people get into, oh, well, I need to do things in a certain order or I must consume mm -hmm. certain podcasts or books because people always recommend things, right, that have worked for them. And you're going to, know what you need at any point in time and it's not going to be a match for somebody else somebody else's um needs necessarily so by all means you know we can make and take recommendations but starting to really connect with that that part of you that instinctively knows what you need at any point in time and following that trusting that you'll make way more progress than trying to take a like a blueprint from somebody else because there isn't one way of doing this. But for sure, surrounding yourself with people that are doing this kind of work, have interests that are similar to yours, that can, you know, people that are a little bit further down the road from you that can shine a light, like that's all really, really healthy stuff. Love it trust in the unfolding mm. i think that would be a really lovely place to leave it what do you reckon hi <laughs> adios no yeah i think it would be i i really i love what you've said um i really do and i would be very surprised if if for anybody listening in if you if you start tuning into that you, the synchronicities, the things you just start seeing from one book to another, et cetera, are kind of oh, mind blowing. Yeah. It's kind of freaky. So just, uh, yeah. it's good fun too. Mm. But there's a big difference between that, like following your knowing versus consuming. 
because I've mm. done the consuming thing where you oh right somebody's recommended this book I need to consume it mm, but you're not too. necessarily absorbing it in the same way in a meaningful way it's just you know same thing as like sitting down for meditation but sit, sitting down in a way where you're entirely distracted and not really present for it but you're doing it to get your um star on insight time get your minutes in don't know who's done that before <laughs> <laughs> bloody stars on insight timer i've never Damn been it. one never been one for for streaking getting streaking <laughs> It right, before me. we descend into streaking moments and streaking stories, Ellie's got loads. We'll um uh, pardon. The only other thing I was going to say was that if this has piqued your interest and you you are interested in delving further, then what we're just saying about following you, your own um knowing is really important. And we I'm about to sign us up for something that we haven't agreed upon. <laughs> I was just going to say, look, just just stay tuned, mm. stay tuned, because we have um, we've been busy with various things that have kept us from running. Uh, some of you will be familiar with the stair stop solution oh, yeah. that we ran earlier this year a couple of times, and certainly, you know that what we're talking about today is very much the heart of that program so just i'm not committing to anything but stay stay tuned keep your eyes peeled if you haven't joined the wait list for whatever the next iteration of the program is then get on it there'll be a link in the show notes and um more to come in the new year Woo! all right team love you all have a fab week see you next tuesday Hey team, well look, I really hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as me and Ellie enjoyed uh, talking that, saying that and uh, having that conversation. And um, yeah, there's always discussion and conversation going on in the Facebook group. The amount of times we make a podcast based on a question that someone's asked in there or a discussion that happens to be happening. Um, yeah, loads now. Loads of our most listened to podcasts have come about that way. So uh, yeah, be sure to get yourself in there. There's uh, there's nearly 3,000 people in there now, which is pretty, pretty cool. Um but hey, you have an amazing week. Um and yeah, we'll see you see you next Tuesday. <laughs>